Welcome to today's edition of Disability Inc. I'm Ruth DeRoma, here with Susan Duha. Susan is the Executive Director of Sydney, which is the Independent Living Center for Manhattan and Queens. Today we'll be talking about the groundbreaking lawsuit that disability advocacy groups filed against the City of New York in 2011 and where things stand today. Welcome, Susan. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Wonderful. I'm glad you're here. We've kind of crossed paths many times, and it's good to see you again. Yes. Um, so, Susan, I just want to kind of review what actually is the independent living movement. Well, independent living centers are organizations dedicated to disability civil rights and disability justice. We believe strongly that individuals should be able to succeed in all areas of, of their life, that people with disabilities should be able to make uh, our own choices, that we should not face barriers to all of the areas of well-being, to transportation, housing, food, education, employment, and uh, other, and healthcare that people with disabilities do not face. And so we believe in removing barriers and also working with individuals to help them achieve their goals. These are um, national, statewide, and there are several here in New York City. That's right. There are five here in New York City, and there are more than 40 across the state of New York and several hundred across the nation. Wonderful. Thank you. Um, so let's talk about some of the specifics. There have been several initiatives which were started over the last decade. And I'm really happy to say that the time has finally come that they have become part of the narrative um, of being a more inclusive and accessible city. Yes, we've been making progress. But. <laughs> but there's still far to go. Um, well, one of the most critical issues is um, safety and continued services to individuals with disabilities living independent lives. I would agree very strongly. I, I certainly am concerned about how we can achieve our independence when we still have so far to go when it comes to simply crossing the street or riding on the subway. And these are issues that we've been raising. We won a settlement agreement with the city of New York regarding sidewalks, and now the city will finally come into compliance with the Americans with Disabilities Act yeah. by putting in curb cuts at every corner that are compliant with the law. Uh, similarly, we brought a suit about emergency preparedness, and we won a federal lawsuit that found that the city of New York had not been planning to include people with disabilities in its um, emergency response, in its preparedness activities. And we certainly know one thing about disasters, and that is disasters are always inclusive. Response and recovery, however, are not unless we plan for that. 
certainly in um, you know 2012 when Hurricane Sandy hit in New York City, um, we learned that. We learned that the very hard way with people literally um, trapped in apartments and um, other living quarters. Um, and those are, I think, what has driven us in many ways. But there was a lawsuit back in 2011. Can you talk yes. a little about that? Well, our early warning actually came with September 11th. Right. when we found out how many people were stuck in high-rises because of their disabilities and not able to evacuate. And then we found out how hard it was in the immediate aftermath of the disaster for people to put their lives back together. And we then had another wake-up call in 2011 when what was to be Hurricane Irene and became Tropical Storm Irene hit. We uh, had long been involved in emergency preparedness and disaster response circles and assumed that it was our responsibility to contact people with disabilities and make sure that everyone had a plan for themselves for how would they evacuate if they needed to or if they were going to shelter in place which is another way to go sometimes, mm -hmm. how they were going to be prepared to do that. And we wanted to offer them information about what to do. So we called a lot of people, and many people did not have a place to go, did not have family members who were coming to get them and take them to their homes, who did not have money for hotel rooms, and so forth and so on, didn't have money for extra medicine or extra food and water. And so we're very, very much at risk. At that point, we tried to give them as much information as we could about what was available to them in the city. And we also went out, and I personally went out mm -hmm. from one evacuation shelter to another evacuation shelter. And I surveyed them because I was very worried that despite our cautions over many years, uh, really since September 11th, that the city of New York had not prepared for people with disabilities to be included in the event of a disaster and had not, as we wished, made shelters accessible. There were like 900,000 people with disabilities at that time, and I guess we were looking to see who was in charge, who was supposed to be in charge at that point. Well, the New York City Office of Emergency Management is in charge of uh, bringing together all of the agencies with responsibilities and ensuring that they work together smoothly. And it also calls upon city uh, nonprofit organizations and service providing organizations to be part of responding to disasters and invites everyone to come together at a center and coordinate. But the coordination obviously is only as good as the preparation has been right. and only as good as the resources that have been put together. Uh, we joined those calls in 2011. We worked with the city also in 2012 because we were identifying and reporting many issues. 
we were contacted by a young woman who had gone out to seek shelter in her wheelchair and couldn't get into the shelter that she had been directed to. Uh, it simply wasn't accessible. There was a kind of a ramp. I suppose some people would call it a suicide ramp because it's so steep mm -hmm. that you really risked yourself if you tried to go down that ramp and then in through a door. There were no keys to open up that door. There was a gate at that entrance and no one had the keys to open that. And so she literally, as the storm bore down on the city, she was literally turned away. And that was a rude awakening. We documented all of these things and we reported them to the city. And when we did not get an effective response from the city, we decided that we were gonna bring suit we had been warning the city since September 11th, all those years ago, that it needed to include people with disabilities in its planning for shelter, transportation, communication, evacuation, and all of the various elements of planning and response to a disaster. But the city had not. The city was stuck on telling people what they themselves were personally responsible for doing. Right, and not taking into account the various needs of people. Um, it was, you know, very straightforward response. But when we look back at those days, um, they had turned public schools into shelters. And we all know, especially include NYC, from the work that we do, is that there are very few truly accessible public schools. That's right. There are very, very few accessible public schools. And the data that the city has on accessibility in public schools is very poor quality and rests on many, many assumptions and does not consider what would be required for these entities to become shelters that could house people for days and weeks who need to plug in their wheelchairs into outlets, who need to refrigerate medication, who need a quiet space when the hectic quality of a large and busy shelter becomes too much. Susan, one day you mentioned to me shelves, and I was so touched by that, where people are able to put their few um, items that they've managed to take with them to be able to give somebody a little space on a shelf that they can reach seems like such a easy thing to think about but very hard to put in place and that small visual in my mind really said a lot. Right. Uh, sometimes uh, what we saw was that the area where there were cots was down a flight of stairs. So even if you could enter the building, you would not be able to go lie down. Even if you could get into the room where the cots were, they didn't raise and lower. So people using wheelchairs would not be able to transfer down to the cot and then up again to their chair and were forced to sit up all night in their chairs. Mm. Uh, people encountered many other problems, lack of interpreters, materials telling people the rules of the shelter that were in tiny type. Nobody like me who's got 
the vision issues that come with aging would even be able to read the materials uh, about how to conduct oneself in the shelter, where to find resources, and certainly no preparations for service animals. So tell us a little more about the lawsuit, uh, the 2011 lawsuit and what came of that. We brought the lawsuit in 2011 and told the stories of the people we were in contact with during Tropical Storm Irene and described what happened to them in their own words. And they talked about being trapped in high rises and unable to get out. They talked about seeking shelter but not being able to get in. They talked about going out to find transportation so that they could get out of a zone that was dangerous for them and not being able to get on a bus. So people were trapped with inadequate resources and it could have been a, a really terrific disaster for people with disabilities. Then, after we had filed the suit, while we were waiting to commence, uh, Hurricane Sandy came along. And again, we called everyone that we knew and we talked with them about their plans. Did they have transportation? Where would they shelter? Did they have the medication they needed? What if they needed dialysis? How were they going to cope if electricity went out, if the power went down? All of these things worried us tremendously. And we gave them what advice was available for us to give them at the time. And then we went out once again to canvas the shelters and to look at the conditions in these shelters. For example, there was one shelter in Lower Manhattan at Seward Park where the entrance was several flights of stairs. And rather than have appropriate ramps or another entrance that everyone could use that would be flat or ramped appropriately, the shelter had decided to put pieces of rain-soaked plywood on top of the very steep steps and several flights of them. I was stunned. That's just a recipe for a very strong disaster. Right, it's a very dangerous situation. Yeah. Even if there are big strong policemen there or even if you are a Paralympian, I imagine, it would be hard to get up those flights of stairs and then into the shelter. And even then, one would have to cope with the lack of preparation inside. So we proceeded with the lawsuit, and the judge was convinced. Everything we had complained of when Tropical Storm Irene hit New York City happened again and on a much, much worse scale, much larger scale, right. tremendous scale, when Hurricane Sandy hit. And people were literally trapped in high-rises without food, without water, without electricity, 
without working sanitary equipment and no way to get out if they could not walk down 23 flights of stairs yeah. or 16 flights of stairs or even three flights of stairs or a large step <laughs> or a large step uh, they were very vulnerable in this situation uh, and they needed help and yet the city had no plan to canvas and no plan to determine whether people had been left behind and had considerable medical needs the city wasn't prepared for evacuation of people. It wasn't prepared for sheltering. Right. The city uh, did not have sheltering facilities throughout the boroughs that could uh, accept people who couldn't walk or offer interpreters for people who couldn't hear, large print materials, spaces for people to be calm when as a result of their mental health disability or their intellectual disability, their cognitive disability, the shelter space and its chaotic environment might be overwhelming. People were going from hospital beds to low cots, which they could barely access by sitting on them. So there, That's right. People were going from beds that were appropriate for their needs at home mm -hmm to cots that they could not get down on or get up from. Right. And that was a terrible problem. People are at risk of getting pressure sores if they cannot turn, move, rest, and must remain in a seated position. Right. Um, so um, I know that both Sydney, um, which is Manhattan and Queens, and the, the Brooklyn Center for independence of the disabled um, also and along with disability um, advocates also brought a secondary uh, lawsuit. It was simply a continuation of the case um, but we were able to add information about the experiences of people after Hurricane Sandy. Sandy and so we were able to talk about the lack of accessible transportation and uh, how when a bus did come to a neighborhood, it might be so full that if you were using a wheelchair, there was no room for you to get on. Right. Or the bike bus might be already full if it came by. Or if you missed the bus, you had no way of knowing mm -hmm. if another one would come and therefore might prefer to go back to your building and try and tough it out, right. as horrible as that would be. Uh, so there were also problems with the city's communications. They did not have an interpreter during uh, the mayor's broadcasts. Mm -hmm. uh, this was Mayor Bloomberg during um, Hurricane Irene, mm -hmm. Tropical Storm Irene. And we complained about this. And so during Hurricane Sandy, the mayor adopted using an interpreter during his press conferences. Right, an ASL interpreter. Correct, but that did not mean that their websites that contained information about what to do and where to go mm -hmm. were accessible or that they contained information relevant exactly. to people with disabilities. And so all of these issues came together 
it really was the perfect storm for people with disabilities, some of whom ended up hospitalized. Others ended up with other health consequences um, and just a terrible experience. Um, there was uh, the result of um, those of the lawsuit and the extension of the lawsuit was the city promised to do a, several concrete things. Right. And so talk, let's talk about what they promised and where we stand today. Well, the first step was that the judge wrote a 116-page landmark decision that detailed everything that the city had done wrong and its utter failure to prepare for or respond to the needs of people with disabilities in clear violation of the Americans with Disabilities Act, the civil rights law that protects people with disabilities. And pursuant to that decision, he charged the city and he charged us to come together and to negotiate a settlement agreement. And in that settlement agreement, we negotiated around a number of kinds of issues. One was high-rise evacuation. Another one was sheltering. Another was accessible transportation. Another was post-emergency canvassing and communications, and then power-related issues. We uh, have continued to work with the city and monitor the city's progress very carefully and provide comments on all of the city's proposed documents, trainings, efforts to prepare in each and every way. And uh, we have participated also in an oversight body, the Disability Access and Functional Needs Task Force that was set up as a result of the lawsuit. And um, what about shelters themselves? Um, what, what suggestions are, um, what was supposed to be put into place? We believe that all of the shelters should be fully accessible. The fewer shelters that are accessible, the more individuals must depend on there being enough accessible transportation for people to get to a more distant shelter. So we would like to see all of the shelters become accessible, but the city did agree to make at least, at least, 60 accessible shelters and evacuation centers throughout the five boroughs. So far, we have received charts showing that they have done remediation at 49 of the 60 shelters they said they would address, and we're still waiting for the others. They had, at our request, an outside agency come in that is expert at doing surveys. And that agency came in and looked at every building that was going to be used as an evacuation center or shelter. Did it have the capacity to store medication? Did it have power strips? Did it have reserve supplies, wayfinding kits, cart or ASL interpretation? Could you even get in the door? 
-hmm. were there no. were there overhanging um, uh, protruding objects that someone who is blind and using a cane might not perceive with the cane and might run into? Were the bathrooms accessible? And they made recommendations about every one of these uh, evacuation center shelters that included very detailed specifications and an amount of money needed to provide the remediation to make the shelter accessible as a shelter. So unfortunately, the city decided that some of the gaps in accessibility were what they called de minimis, yes, meaning very. not big enough to be worried about. And so they left it to staff at shelters on the day of the opening of shelters to come up with solving these architectural problems, like no curb cuts near the entrance. So if you were dropped off, you might have to ride in the street. Which in could order, be flooded. Which would be flooded and could be very dangerous. Uh, it might be that you could get into the building, but not to where certain amenities in the shelter would be, things that you needed. Right. And so, these were left to be fixed on an ad hoc basis. And frankly, that's one of the reasons we brought the lawsuit to begin with, is that we didn't think that we should be relying on ad hoc solutions. So the city still has 11 shelters that it needs to make accessible. And we are still pushing to make sure that the guidance and the training for staff at each of the shelters is sufficient. Wow, big job. Um, you've mentioned something, you, curb cuts which um, are very, very important to all of us, actually, whether you're pushing a stroller or you are using a wheelchair. Um, and here I've seen things starting to look a little better out there, and I think of you. Thank so, you very much. <laughs> um, every Thank time you I very step, much. Every time I step on one of the new red bubbly things I think of I think of Susan we um, we are just beginning right but we expect to see a lot of progress within the next five years but that also was the result of your standing up and that's right and that's because Sydney sued yes please and we are now also suing the Metropolitan Transit Authority and the New York City Transit Authority for failing to make the subways accessible and failing to maintain those subway features that are accessible, right. like maintaining elevators in good working order. And we are also uh, part of a suit to require them to abide by the requirements of the Americans with Disabilities Act. And when they put in a new staircase or they significantly affect access to a subway, they must put in an elevator so we are right in the middle of this, these three lawsuits to try to make sure that people with disabilities can get around New York City in a hot minute, just like everybody else. They've been kind of retrofitting some of the stations, and um, there's a lot of glass and wonderful murals, but there are no elevators. That's right, and that has to change, and we're determined to make it change. 
Well, I, I'm all for that. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> okay. So um, what's the time frame on these curb cuts? Well, we expect to see most of the progress made in the next five years. However, there are a set of curb cuts that are very difficult to fix. Uh, let me give you some examples. Please. There are light poles placed in the center of a curb cut or where a curb cut should be. And so sometimes the curb cut is moved inappropriately to a location that isn't as safe. Sometimes the curb cut is left out altogether. Sometimes um, it juts right into traffic. It juts right into traffic. Not a crosswalk. Uh, it, it, it will require engineering solutions, specific engineering solutions for each and every one of those curb cuts, and that is going to take a longer time. I heard say there's about 162,000 corners in the That's York. right. So 162,000 corners. But the city has committed itself to a very specific timeline. There will be an inde independent monitor who will be monitoring the reports the city is required to produce mm -hmm. to make sure that it is staying on schedule and that it's doing it right not only putting in curb cuts, but correcting the ones that are there and fixing the ones that are broken. All of us know people who've had experiences with coming to a corner that is filled with rain or slush and not knowing what is underneath that curb cut until their wheels are in a big pothole at the end of that curb cut and their chair breaks and they spill over into the middle of the street. Right. These are issues that absolutely must be addressed in a very timely way. And reports will be made public of how the city is doing. There's going to be a new complaint process that people can use to make sure that the city takes care of the problems that we all see every day and responds to people who complain in a timely way. Will this be on our website or will? Yes, it will. And that has to be accessible. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Um, the future. Um, we've heard tell that um, last big election, there were almost 2 million people with disabilities that not, did not vote. And that is a movable uh, result number. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and we could change the outcome of, of elections by having um, people get out and vote. I agree. People with disabilities must vote as if our lives depend upon it. Yes, because they do. they do. And when people are prevented from voting because of inaccessible polling sites, or accessible voting equipment that is still in a box or piled up in a corner behind cafeteria tables or when it is always broken. These are problems that absolutely must be corrected. We were involved in the lawsuit against the city that brought about a settlement agreement that requires the city 
to fix all of the polling sites in the city to make them accessible and to have guidance as to every single polling site and how it should be set up so that it will be accessible. There will be room to move around. People will, with vision disabilities will be able to vote on the equipment by using a device. People who can't use their hands but use sip and puff technology will be able to uh, use that in order to vote. There will be large print, there will be scanners, and an audible guide. I use these machines and um, I have a cognitive disability. I have a mild traumatic brain injury. But I find that the accessible equipment makes it much easier for me to vote by showing me one race at a time. Mm -hmm. And then if I skip a vote on the race, it will ask me if I meant to do that. And then before I finish my ballot, it will remind me that I didn't vote in certain races and offer me the chance to do it before my ballot is finalized. These are terrific innovations. And we're going to have early voting, so um, that helps right. everyone, but especially for people with disabilities who may have a day when they are unable to go to the poll on a specific date and time. That's exactly right. And we worked hard to win early voting in our community. And now we are very concerned about whether there are enough early voting sites. We'd ask for many more. And we are again concerned about transportation to these sites for people with disabilities. We are going to be testing them all to make sure that they are accessible. And we will be reporting everything that we find to the judge who is responsible for the poll site accessibility case and um, making sure that he addresses them with the New York City Board of Elections. Thank you, Susan. It's such a pleasure. Absolutely. Um, so, um, love to talk more, but we have, I think we're out of time. But thank you for your insight. I hope we can continue on some other topics in the future. And to all of our listeners, you've been listening to Include NYC's podcast, Disability Inc. Uh, check out others on our website and on YouTube. Thank you for joining us.